Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And obviously, I'm a different gender than the mothers, but I have watched my wife and watched many of you over the years. I can simply say emphatically that motherhood, mothering, is not for the faint of heart. Martin Luther, who was the founder of the Protestant Reformation, said this in the reference of the fourth commandment. He said these words. He said, God has given this walk of life, fatherhood and motherhood, a special position of honor, higher than that of any walk of life under it. Do you see that? This great man of God said, God has given this walk of life, fatherhood and motherhood, higher than any walk of life under it. He distinguishes father and mother above all other persons on earth. And places next to himself. I think he's pretty close to it. Because God has a high view of the state of marriage. God has a high view of the state of family. In God's eyes, motherhood is higher than any walk of life. Man, let that sink in a moment. Motherhood is higher than any walk of life. Now, I know society tries to tell the ladies of our day, do something more important with your life. God said... I don't know of anything more important in your life than that little thing sitting in your high chair, sitting across from your table, sleeping under your roof. God says, that's what I value. That's why I gave that child to you. It's not that people who serve in vocation, in the vocation of parents, aren't somehow more important than other people who don't. People are people, and, and if they confess Christ, they're equally redeemed. But what the scripture teaches us is that the vocation, the calling of a parent, is more important than any other vocation pastor, lawyer, governor, president, king, whatever it is. It's more important than any other vocation and that the proper ordering of these vocations puts fatherhood, motherhood, listen, motherhood at the top. And so we need to hear the truth. Children are not an interruption in a parent's world and in a parent's life work. They are the parent's life work. Amen? Every other vocation in which a parent might serve, as important as it is, exists to support the vocation of the parent. Motherhood and fatherhood matter more than any other. Now, don't mishear me. I want you to understand, I'm not saying that women should not work outside the home. That is not what I'm saying. I am saying that the greatest vocation isn't found somewhere out there. It is found in the hungry eyes of an infant mom that looks to you for food and sustenance and nourishment. I'm saying that, mom, for you, the highest calling is that inquisitive stare of a child, the hopeful gaze of the youth, or the confident, even sometimes cocky swagger and stride of a teenager. And the independence of a young man or young woman who drive away at the age of 16 from your house for the very first time. And you realize that forever your life has changed. There's no higher calling. Other things you may do are, may have value and importance. But there's no higher calling. Listen to what a theologian said. He said, the most important person on earth is the mother. She cannot claim the honor of having built the Notre Dame Cathedral. And that's over in Paris, France. And I've had the privilege of being there. It is absolutely stunning and gorgeous. 
She has built something far more magnificent, magnificent than any cathedral. She, has, she is a dwelling for an immortal soul. The tiny perfection of her baby's body. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. She cannot claim the honor of having built Notre Dame Cathedral. She need not. She has built something more magnificent than any cathedral, a dwelling for an immortal soul, the tiny perfection of her baby's body. The angels have not been blessed with such grace. Only a human mother can. Mothers are closer to God, the creator, than any other creature. God joins forces with mothers in performing this act of creation. What on God's good earth is more, more glorious than this? than to be a mother. And on Mother's Day, it's like, yes, amen, I'm glad I'm a mom. But when they're throwing up at 2 in the morning, you look at your husband and say, it's your turn. Consider all the hats that a mom wears. Chief, <laughs> chef, dietitian, nurse, philosopher, cosmetologist, mathematician, physician, lawyer, judge, spiritual director, moral compass, teacher of discernment, aesthetics, manners, temperance, and modesty, life coach, personal manager, home organizer, chauffeur, referee, head janitor, imager of the church, and an example of faithfulness and respect to her husband. In short, a mother is a, is a shaper of souls for time and eternity, and I love that line. A mother is a shaper of souls for time and eternity. Her calling along with that of the Father is, that the, is the greatest and highest vocation on earth. Let me throw out a couple of scriptures to you. Look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. It's the fourth commandment. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord God has given you. By the way, the Jews were a very patriarchal society, and at this time in their history, it was a very patriarchal society. And so to throw in and mother was huge, shows the value of motherhood. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, it says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments I give you today to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Put your stamp. Now, here's what I want everybody to do. On the back of your hand, I want you to take one fingernail. Now, don't draw blood on this. But just take your fingernail and press hard as you can for three seconds. Pull it away. And you're going to see the imprint of, of your fingerprint on the back of your hand. Listen, you're to imprint your children. Not to be the best baseball player, softball player, soccer player, best financial mind. All of those are fine. They're secondary. The primary is that you're to impress them with the truth of God's most holy word. If you back up in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says we're to teach them that there is one Lord, only one. And you're to impress upon them. When do you do this impressing? When do you make this impression? Well, you talk about them when you sit at the house, when you walk along the road, when you're riding your bikes, when you're pushing in the stroller. See the tree that God made? There's so many ways. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as a symbol to your hands and bind them on your forehead. Put Christian art in your home. Write them on the door frames of your house. In other words, as you go in and you go out, man, let everything about you represent your love for Jesus Christ because Sunday is not an addition. It's not a tack-on day. It is the day where your child sees you worship your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But then you get the Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 is, the whole book of Proverbs is this really cool book. 
And it was written by Solomon to pass on wisdom to his children. Now Solomon was the king of Israel. He was the wisest man outside of Christ and probably the apostle Paul that ever lived. I mean, he was just, he just had wisdom. And so here's what he said. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And this is going to be our text verse for this morning. So just leave your Bibles open to, first, or to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, and underline this verse. It is awesome. It is great. You need to know it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Is it? it it's knowledge. It's the beginning of knowledge. I simply maintain if you want to understand science better, you got to understand where do you start? You got to start with the Lord. It's the beginning of knowledge. If you want to understand math better, you, you, you got to start with the Lord. I mean, the basis, He's the creator of all things. And so you start with the Lord and work out. All right? So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. And instruction, listen, my son, to your father's instructions, and do not forsake, and it should say, your mother's teaching. All right? Do not forsake your father's instructions, nor your mother's teaching. Let me give you several things about a godly mother's heart. All right? Because I think a mother's heart beats differently than a man's. And I I tried to find some things online to kind of prove that. I don't know physiologically if I can, but I think spiritually and, and emotionally, her heart beats different than mine, and then di- beats differently than most of the other men in here. First of all, a godly mother or mothers with a heart for God have a heart for her family. They have a heart for their family. Now, the family's God's idea, amen? The family is God's idea, Amen? And Solomon takes for granted this concept of fathers and mothers. Do not forsake your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. It's as kind of normal as natural. He said, hear, O son, your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. This is just a given with Solomon. And it used to be that way with us too here in America. Perhaps it can't be taken for granted anymore. So let me just kind of explain it real quick. Families are God's idea. Families are God's plan. And families are God's way. They are not arbitrary. They're not evolutionary developments based on court rulings or or human evolution. The family is ordained by God in creation. And you don't mess with it. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female in his image, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. All right? And and, and so, like, sex is God's great idea here. And then how do you be fruitful? How do you multiply? You go down to chapter 2 and, and verse 24 gives us the answer. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is a profound covenant relationship between a man and a woman. And whenever I do premarital counseling, I always stress the most important thing. When By the time they get to my office and they want to talk marriage, I said the most important thing in the marriage ceremony is not the kiss. I assume by the time they make it to me, they've already kissed somewhere in the past. But that doesn't make you husband and wife. 
What makes you husband and wife is you stand publicly, boldly, and unreservedly before God and before family and before friends, and you make a covenant not only to one another, but you make a covenant to God. And the covenant that you make is better or for worse, for richer, for poor, sickness and in health, till death do us part, and you may want to kill him on some days. But you stay together. All right? Listen, God's original purpose for the heart of the family has always been, and it will always continue to be, one man, one woman, cleaving together each other as husband and wife and becoming this one flesh union. The family is God's idea for his glory, and Solomon just assumes that, and a mom's heart beats for her family. But I, I think that most of us know this by now. Most of you understand that if you're a man, your heart kind of beats for your job, and you kind of want to rise in that, that position. You kind of want to rise in that level, and your job is kind of what kind of gives you your sense of value and worth. But I think for moms, it's completely different. I think theirs is so tied to that covenant union of marriage and so tied to the home and so tied to the children. Now, that doesn't mean you lose who you are in your husband or in your children, but that means that what God has done in you, you are to replicate and reproduce, to impress upon your children. So godly mothers have a heart for their family. Secondly, godly mothers have a heartbeat to provide God-centered teaching. We heard the parents reaffirm their commitment. Paul used the phrase to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Solomon said the teaching or knowledge and wisdom. It, it all talks about the same thing. The couples, there's a couple of things in play here. First is teaching and second is wisdom. Teaching is pretty simple to define. Teaching is kind of like just teaching uh, a skill and, or pointing them in the right direction. Wisdom goes a step beyond or several steps beyond teaching. It is the application of wisdom to life so that you do the right thing at the right time in the right way. For example, you teach your children to talk. Isn't it amazing that when you were trying to teach your children to talk, you never in your wildest imagination figured that they would fuss with their brothers or sisters or with you one day. And so you help them embrace the knowledge of communication, but you can't stop there. You'll have to also impress upon them, Deuteronomy 6, you have to impress upon them and teach them wisdom, how to talk in the right way, at the right time, in the right tone, to accomplish the right results, right? That's wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom. Some things in life come naturally to a child, right? When they learn to walk, I, I don't know, maybe your child was this wonder child and they walked the very first time and never fell. Our kids had these big old heads. I literally put two footballs together and that was about as wide as their heads were when they were babies. Thank the Lord their bodies grew into it, but I mean they had these big 
Ask the Wildcats, you know, on your way out. Did they, were, were the Trimble boys big-headed? Oh, yeah, man. They, we, we, they were so top-heavy. They'd stand up and they'd just go, Poof, you know, and they'd just, they'd just fall over. came naturally to them. A lot of things come naturally to us. Being messy came naturally to my boys. The iris closing naturally in bright light. Babies crying when they're hungry. Those are all natural. But boy, there's, there's a lot of natural stuff that just happens. Isn't it amazing you don't have to teach that natural stuff? But if your child falls down, you do have to teach them to get up. If they make a mess, you do have to clean, tell them to clean up. It's knowledge and Wisdom. The family is God's school for this huge undertaking of teaching the next generation how to live in this world and be ready to pass faith on and live and prepare the next generation. And if the father and mother seek help from others, whoever those others may be, the relatives or, or daycare or church, church schools or Sunday school or, or primary schools, the responsibility is still the parents to impart knowledge and wisdom. And I believe we'll give account for God for those that we've allowed to influence our children. So point number two is this, is that family is God's basic school for instructing children how to no knowledge, but also wisdom. Listen, you can Google knowledge all day long. You cannot Google wisdom. I'm telling you, only mom and dad and grandparents, man, can pour wisdom into that child. Write it down. You cannot Google wisdom. You can Google knowledge. But somewhere we have to show up and teach our children. Let me give you the, the next one. Godly mothers have a heartbeat for their children to know the fear of the Lord. Now, now let's just kind of, start, kind of back up. This idea of fear of the Lord is not, ha, ah! Joe Wilson likes to go around here and scare the women. All right? I mean, I'm telling you, if Joe is in the building, if Pastor Joe's in the building, you better know it. Because he, he will sneak up on you. And scare the bejeebies out of you. I'm, I'm not lying. All right? That's not the type of fear we're talking about. Anytime the Old Testament uses the word fear, it is a deep word of deep respect, of honor. Realizing that you're in the presence of something greater than what you are. It, it, it has a sense of deep devotion. And deep affection. So this thing of fearing the Lord, it's almost like when you enter into the presence of God as we do in worship, all the music may be loud. But sometimes it's amazing that when I, when I sing that and, and worship with all of you and the music is loud and the lights are doing their thing and, and the drummer's doing his thing and Jensen over there doing his thing and John Grabowski's up there doing his thing. Man, it can be just so reverent in my soul because I realize that I'm standing in the presence of God. Listen, God is not the old man in the sky. He, he's not just some old man with a gray beard who's got Alzheimer's and has forgotten all about you. That's not him at all. 
He's a God who is actively involved in pursuing his purposes and his plans for the redemption of the world. And you and I and our children have the privilege to be a part of that. That's incredible. The family isn't a place where children learn to hold spoons. It isn't just a place where our children learn to hold spoons and walk and on two feet and say please and tie their shoes. Man, the family is where all of this and more begins in God, is guided by God's word, and is shown for the glory of God. See, moms and dads, we, we not only teach the things that, that are temporary, and one day won't matter, like tying a shoe. I hope I never have to put on another shoe when I get to heaven. But I'm telling you, not only do we have to teach tying the shoe, but we also have to teach tying Jesus' truth to our heart and to our life. We teach on a temporary or, or on a... On a temporary basis but we also have to make sure we're teaching out on an eternal level as well and helping our children develop the wisdom to know which really matters the temporary moment or the eternal moment with Jesus Christ and so godly mothers have a heartbeat for their children to know the fear of God. And the family is where all of this and more takes place as we're guided by God's word in this reverence and this awe. Can I also say that godly mothers also have a heartbeat for her husband to be her spiritual partner. And guys, if this was Father's Day, I'd be hammering you right now. Because you are the spiritual pastor. You are the shepherd of your home. Amen? Okay, let me say that again. Ladies, they're going to need your help because guys are a little thick-headed. According to Scripture, gentlemen, you are the spiritual pastor of your home. I'm going to say it again. Gentlemen, according to to God's holy word. You are the spiritual pastor of your home. Now, I'm going to say it again. Gentlemen, your wife is tired of you sitting on your keister in church. Your wife is tired of you not taking the lead in family devotions. Your wife is tired of you not even offering to lead grace at the dinner table when the families gather together. Your wife is starving for your spiritual leadership. And if you can't be the leader, at least rise to the level and be her partner. Because scripturally, you, not me, you are the spiritual pastor of your home. And what I do what he does, what we do is come alongside the home and say, come on, you can do it. Impress knowledge, impress wisdom on your children. Teach them how to hit a baseball, yes, but tell them that there's something more important to swing for than the fences. And that's going and pursuing after Jesus Christ and his most holy word. And as you learn your multiplication table, and as you learn your addition tables, there is something more important to hide in your heart, and that's God's eternal word. Gentlemen, partner with your wife in this. 
If it were Father's Day, I would tell you that. But since it's not Father's Day and it's Mother's Day, I would say, Mom, God bless you. Keep going. And by the way, gentlemen, if your wife assumes leadership in a home because you are too lazy spiritually to do it, don't you gripe at her because of your spiritual laziness. See, if it's Father's Day, I'd say that too. But since it's not... Let me close with a word for moms. Since today's Mother's Day, perhaps the way we should end is by reminding ourselves that as sons and daughters, whether old or young, that our life in the strong confidence and with deep satisfaction, man, it, it comes back to honoring all the truth, all the wisdom, all the blessings that mom and is poured into us. The earliest memory I have of my mom is playing the piano in our little church. Being the Sunday school counter, you know, counted the money and, and counted the kids and counted the adults. The earliest memory I have is of my father doing anything and everything in the church. One of the most vivid memories I have is being taken out of the church of Edna Avenue Free Will Baptist Church down to the basement because there was a room in the back of the basement. And every child in Edna Avenue Free Will Baptist Church knew what that room was for, and it was a come to Jesus meeting room. My dad take me down there many Sundays. Wear me out. And then you have to walk back up with every child looking at you because we didn't have children's church in those days. And all your buddies looking at you and you're trying to, you know, make sure you don't have that red eye and that tear eye and all that kind of stuff. Walking back like, oh yeah, dad and I just had a nice little talk, you know. It's not just about knowledge, but it's about wisdom, and we have the privilege. Listen, the Bible says in Proverbs 33, 22, do not despise your mother when she's old. Proverbs 23, 25 says, let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Amen? Don't forsake the teaching of your mother. Bible said in verse 9, and we didn't get to it in Proverbs, but it will be a wreath of grace around your head and a crown of joy around hers. Maybe you're here today and your mom taught you who Jesus is and you walked away from that faith. Why not right now you recommit your heart and your life, not because it's Mother's Day, but because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, Jesus Christ was buried in another man's tomb, Jesus Christ rose again so that you might know the fear of the Lord, what it is to live for him and honor him, to live with knowledge 